God's doing stuff in, in, in our church, in us. And, and we don't, Anna and I, we're not about events. We're not about Sunday morning being a spectacle. We're about Jesus being a spectacle. And, and surrendering our life to him in, in, in the midst of um, a world where it's really hard to do that with so much distraction, temptation, and opportunity. Jesus can be like this addition to our life, this, but really, he needs to be central. And I think as we put more focus on us really working on who we are as apprentices and disciples to Jesus and, and putting a concerted effort into, into being with him and being more like him, that I can't help but think great things are in store for us individually. And that will then have an effect on us corporately and us as an organization, as a church, and the influence that we have in our community. And, and like Sam said, shared so beautifully this morning when it, when, around his communion message, it's, yes, it's about what Jesus has done for us, and we have to keep that primary, but, but we don't just get us, we don't gorge ourselves on that. The reason he set us free is to go into all the world and be on mission with him and share that good news with people. And I'm big on, on evangelism, but I'm not big on propaganda. And, and I think, so can I just share some unfiltered thoughts? Is that all right? I'll just, I'll just offload. If, if you want to drift off, that's fine. But I think when it comes to evangelism, um, Evangelism without a deep love and care for the person you're evangelizing to is simply propaganda. Like, why do we evangelize? Why share the gospel? Oh, because I want people to experience Jesus and, and have eternal life. Well, cool answer, but why? Why would you want that for them? Because I love them. So if you love them, how do you treat them? Are they just a project for you to get a notch on your evangelistic belt and feel good about yourself as a Christian on mission? Or do you deeply care for that person and want to meet their needs? So I think evangelism has to be, like, it's more than just, you know, reach and preach and then leave it. It's, it's, it's getting into people's worlds. It's understanding why they are like they are. It's understanding their, their past. It's, it's understanding the problem of their present and, and, and bringing Jesus into that space for them and if we love them, let's show them that we love them. What does love look like? It love does not look like just dropping a J-bomb and walking away. Love looks like meeting people's needs. Pure religion, as we saw in the end of James chapter 1, is to be with the widows and orphans in their times of trouble. That's what it looks like. But so often we want to just have, have clean hands when it comes to evangelism and just, just share the gospel and then leave it. But it's really about having a pure heart pure words but dirty hands as we are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world and so I think evangelism, sharing the gospel in order for it to be fully effective I think it has to be done in the context of love for the individual that we're trying to win um, if we don't have love we're just a clanging cymbal and a resounding gong we're just noise religious noise and I think the deeper we go with Jesus the more we realize what it is to be like Jesus. And so we will love people unconditionally. 
even if they push back on our offer for salvation. Push back on our offer and invitation to church and to faith. We're still called to love our neighbour as ourselves. You're very quiet and I hope I haven't offended you. But it's true. And yeah. I've got a whole message on that that I've preached to other churches but I've never preached it here. Um, but I will at one, at one point. What time we got? All right. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. If you give me 15 minutes, I'll give you 15 minutes. We'll get through this message this morning. We're, we're finishing James um, chapter 2 today. So if you have a Bible, grab it, turn it to James chapter 2. We are looking at, um, if you're here for the first time or visiting, our current teaching series is the book of James. And if you chuck your eyes to the screen, you'll see a little overview of what we've been talking about so far. Um, it's a general letter to all Christians, not written to a specific church. It's widely agreed that it was Jesus' brother who wrote it. Uh, the tone is warm, pastoral. He calls us brothers and sisters, or the readers, 14 times in five chapters. Uh, the main theme, theme is practical Christianity, that faith looks like faithfulness. His view on the Bible is it should be obeyed more than just studied. And the key verse is 122, be doers, not just hearers only. Um, and the next one is, uh, it will challenge all of us in our Christian conduct and lifestyle. If you were here last week, we went pretty hard on the are we doers of the word or hearers only sort of idea that James presents. And so that in itself, that exercise, is going to challenge us in our Christian conduct and lifestyle. Um, but we've got to remember the goal is not to feel condemned, but to be inspired to grow in the likeness of Christ. We're not trying to just be religious robots, we're trying to be Jesus followers. Okay. So far we've looked at trials, um, count all joys as trials build your faith, temptation, God doesn't tempt us, which means then our temptation must come from the enemy, so we're in a spiritual battle. Pure religion, as I said, is being with people in the midst of their troubles. Are we doers of the word, hearers only, active or passive? And last week we looked at the sin of partiality, discriminating, discriminating against people because of their appearance. Okay, today we're going to finish chapter 2 and verse 14. To, uh, I don't want to do that. 26. So I'm going to skip the next one, Brendo. And we're just going to go through, rather than read the whole lot, we're just going to go through verse by verse. So we'll start with verse 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers? See, my brothers, it's warm, it's nice, it's pastoral. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So claiming to have faith but no corresponding works is like a kid falling over and grazing his knee and you saying thoughts and prayers rather than getting a band-aid out of the cupboard. That's essentially what it's saying, is we can say we have faith in God, we can say all this stuff, I'm a Christian, but if we don't have corresponding works that actually meet the needs of people around us, then, as I said before, we are like that clanging gong or that resounding symbol, we're just noise. In fact, James takes it even further by saying that our faith without those works is actually dead, and he says it three times in between verse 14 and 26, three separate times. Faith without deeds is 
dead, brutal. So what we can conclude then is if faith without works is dead, then faith with works is life and life-giving. Because we can sort of read that and get a bit down on ourselves, like, oh, faith is dead, it becomes a negative. But if we flip that same truth into a positive light, then our faith corresponding with good works is life and life-giving. And it makes it more enticing for us to be obedient, to be doers of the word, knowing that our doing matched with our faith produces life in us and for others. It's a beautiful thing. So if you feel like your faith is waning, if you feel like your faith is dull, if you feel like there is just a a deadness in your spirit or your walk with God or your faith is fractured, can I encourage you, go and serve. Go and encourage somebody. Be generous. Heaven forbid, jump on a roster here at church and help the place function. Do something to help other people because your faith with works is life and life-giving. And so I think that's a really good practical remedy if we're feeling disconnected or distant from God or our faith is waning, help somebody. Proverbs 11, 24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Or or Acts 20.35 is like, hey, remember when Jesus said this? It's better to give than it is to receive. Good deeds, good works are good for our soul. It brings life to our faith. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So here, something very interesting happens. James introduces us to this special someone, this mystery person, this, uh, this naysayer who he has this hypothetical argument with that helps shape his point. Essentially, he's saying that this hypothetical person's argument um, about how you have faith and I have works is a cop-out to excuse themselves from being active in God, but rather passive. This person is trying to separate faith and works as if there's some sort of unique gift for different people, but James slams this concept. And this is where he reiterates that idea that faith looks like faithfulness. He's like, I will show you my faith by my works, that my faith actually looks like my faithfulness to God and others through the good service of meeting their needs. It's a verb, both spiritually and physically. I love the comment from um, theologian and farmer Douglas Moo uh, on this passage. He's not a farmer, that was a joke. Uh, That's okay, we'll move on. He says, only where works are present is genuine saving faith present. Interesting. What we must remember then is we're not saved. This is where we can get confused. And we go, this is in contradiction to what Paul teaches about um, faith alone through by grace alone. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works, right? That should be evidence, our good works should be evidence of what has already taken place in us, our salvation uh, by God's saving grace, which is free, then results in how we see and treat others. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. This is to the hypothetical person. Even the demons believe and shudder. And you might be thinking that's, that's a weird sort of 
phrase to throw in the mix of what he's saying here. It seems a little bit out of context, but, but James is continuing to address this hypothetical person and puts their theological understanding of God on the same level as demons. It's like, ooh, okay, interesting. Um, he, he's essentially telling this hypothetical person that they have bare faith that they they have nothing more than a knowledge about God, just like the demons do. It's not that it's a a demonic faith, but it's at that same level of understanding. You know about God, but you don't know him. Because to know him is to respond to him, which the demons don't do. They just shudder. So faith without works is far from the full Christian faith that both James and Paul proclaim. Verse 20. Do you want me to show you, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He is ramming this point home. Do you want me to show you, foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? In other words, faith without works doesn't work. Faith without works doesn't work. The word foolish here doesn't really mean um, idiot or stupid, it has that connotation. What this actually means in the Greek is empty. I'm going to show you, empty person, that faith apart from works is useless. It leaves us empty. As I said before, works is evidence of the faith that exists inside of us. You can't call yourself a pilot and not fly planes. Because the very act of flying a plane shows that you are a pilot. Am I speaking too simply? We cannot call ourselves a Christian and not love and serve the people around us. We cannot call ourselves a Christian and not roll up our sleeves and jump in to help the kingdom work. Our faith without those things is actually dead and no faith at all. But our faith when we do roll up our sleeves and serve and help and bless people is actually life and life giving. That's how we know we are living the fullness of the Christian life. I love this quote from Martin Luther. It's not on the screen, so I'll just read it to you. Oh, it is a living, busy, active thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is even asked, it has already done them and is constantly doing them. Oh dear Lord, that's good. That's juicy, isn't it? Then verse 21 to 25. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So here, James is giving an Old Testament example of the point he's been building verse after verse after verse. He's like, if you still don't get it, let me take you back to the, to the old school teachings that you have grown up in and show you that even your forefathers, people like Abraham and Rahab, vastly different stories, prove the point that our faith without corresponding works is actually dead. 
Verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He is flogging this horse, isn't he? He is relentless. Like we got it the first time, bro, and he's just going on and on and on. Coupled with what we read last week about how uh, are we doers of the word or hearers only, there is a real strong sense of practical Christianity that James, the brother of Jesus, is really trying to get across to not a specific church, but the church in general for all time. So this passage here is the third time in this short stint that we see this same concept. So what what he's essentially saying here, which is kind of true, is a professing Christian that doesn't live like a Christian is a zombie. It's like you look alive, but you're not really. It's like like you're dressed like a pilot, but you're not in the cockpit flying the plane. You just got the hat on, the little badge on your wings. It's like you come to church, it's cool, and you look like a Christian, you've got a Bible on your coffee table, but... You know, are you, are you actually doing the things we looked at last week about being a doer of the word or just a hearer only? Because it's the doing and responding that actually what really counts in our, matu- our maturation process as a follower of Jesus. And, and like I said before, my, our goal is that we would be mature Christians. I don't care about growth of this church. I used to get upset if, if it was low numbers on a Sunday. And if I'm honest, it's because probably it hits my pride and go, oh, but isn't the goal that all churches would be like thousands and thousands of people? I'm like, that's so many problems. I don't know if I could handle that. And that's because the reason my heart would sink if the attendance was low is because what I actually valued as success was bums on seats. And that was my metric. And that's the metric that I've grown up with in church life, that numbers equal success. I've since done a little bit of unlearning in that area. And so now my metric for success is health. How are the marriages in our church? How are dads interacting with their kids? How are we being employees with integrity in our workplaces? adding value to every place we go? How are we actually getting into the innermost being of our soul and letting God do a deep work in us to form us more in his image? How are we going with our prayer life or or understanding the Bible and, and, and putting it into practice in our life? They're the things I care about now. And most of them are unseen. I can see numbers and it's easy to measure. Hard to measure growth because it's in the heart of each, each and every one of us. And here's the thing. Not everything that, is, not everything that grows is healthy. But everything that's healthy grows. So if I focus on just growth, I can get growth. Doesn't mean it's healthy. Cancer grows, it's not healthy. But if I focus on on the health of our congregation, on the spiritual thermostat of our lives, and we get our soul and our mind and our 
our actions healthy, if, if, if I can help lead us to a place of being with Jesus, to be like Jesus, then healthy things will grow. But that's not the goal. The goal is health and the growth takes care of itself. I, I love the book of Acts when it talks about the expansion of the church. It was like Paul said, I watered, sorry, I planted. Right, the churches, Apollos came along, he watered them. Who caused the growth? Holy Spirit. Paul's not saying I caused it to grow because I'm awesome. He's not saying Apollos came along and he just preached this prophetic message that got the people going. It was provocative. It was amazing. And it grew. It's like, no, no, no. We were faithful with planting. We were faithful with watering. We were faithful with creating an environment with which the church could be healthy so that the Holy Spirit could cause the growth. That's how we see church. We will plant the seed of God through faithful biblical teaching. We will water it every single week through faithful attendance and service and and giving God the glory. And then we will sit back having done all to stand. We will stand and watch God do what only he can do, which is cause the growth. I'm not chasing it. I'm chasing health. What does that look like? Being a doer of the word, starting there. It looks like adding good works to our faith that brings life to us and life to others. And I said before, the very last screen, this book will challenge all of us in our Christian conduct and lifestyle. It will challenge us to be healthier. It's not, healthy is, healthy is sexy until you've got to do it. When you go on a diet or you go on a, a, like a health kick thing, it's like, yeah, I'm going, to be, I'm going to drink smoothies every day, or I'm going to juice cleanse, or I'm going to just eat you know, keto. It's like, that's great. And then you do it, and you're like, oh my God, this is harsh. Where are the beer and pretzels? Let's just do this. This is... It's easy to come to church and just get caught up in the, the doing and the lights and the show, and the, I'm a Christian, it's great. But when you've got to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him deal with, why do I respond that way? Why do I let that bother me? Why do I come to church and not ask if I can help? Why do I not give? Why do I not? When we focus on health, it's hard to start with, but you feel great when you commit to the process. You will feel lighter, you'll feel healthier, you'll feel fitter, you'll feel freer. It's beautiful. The goal, like I said, is not to feel condemned at all. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? We're not called to be condemned, but inspired to grow in the likeness of Christ, to be with him in order to be like him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for such a beautiful, powerful time in your presence in worship. We thank you for such a beautiful, powerful time on the altar, seeing dozens and dozens of chains broken and lives being set free to step into the fullness of life that you have for them and us in this next season of our life. Help us not return to slavery or or bondage anymore, but to live free. Live as those who have been set free. And Lord, I thank you for this passage today that really challenges us that our faith without corresponding works is dead. But conversely, Lord, we thank you that faith with works is life and life-giving. 
And I thank you that that is the place that we would start from today, that we would see a need and meet a need, and that would bring life to us, that, that we would be the kind of people that, that hear the words of Jesus where he says that it is better to give than it is to receive, and we would just follow that. And that you would help shape us and make us healthier and more spiritually mature. In Jesus' name, amen.